This is the Commercial Property Show, Australia. Show number 48. What were your biggest regrets this year? My regrets are that I didn't buy more. Yep. <laughs> hey, commercial property community. My name is Andrew Bean, and we made it to the final show of the year, 2021 wrap-up show, and here it is. Mish Daniel from Revolve Commercial joins me to wrap up the year that was 2021, the lockdown year. We talk about the sectors that perform the best, the sectors that perform the worst, what type of asset she was most bullish on throughout the year. That might surprise you. We talk about what type of tenant actually surprised her, how well they did during the extended lockdowns. We even talk about what tenant type is going to do well in 2022. And we even talk about the complex issues between tattoo parlors and bikey gangs. It's a complete action-packed recap of 2021. But first, if you're struggling to figure out if that industrial investment that you're looking at is being sold at a fair cap rate, or the rate per square meter is to market, or how many new leases have actually been written in the last month, and you just want to understand the supply and demand of a market, then check out CP Data. That's commercialpropertydata.com.au. The only platform that breaks down commercial property data sector by sector for you, the investor, to make informed decisions that are backed with solid data. That's www.commercialpropertydata.com.au. Check out our free membership today. Investing in commercial property is a lot like a team sport. You need a lot of good players around you to complete a property transaction. No one can do it alone. If you're like me and want to surround yourself with like-minded people who have similar property goals, people who motivate you and push you to achieve more, then come and join the commercial property community today. You can find our private group on Facebook by searching Commercial Property Show Community or you can click on the link in the show notes. Our expert guests are just waiting to answer your questions in the forum and together we can help each other reach the ultimate goal of financial freedom. Joining me today is founder of Revolve Commercial, it's Mish Daniel. How are you, Mish? Hey, Andrew. Great. Thank you. Lovely to be here and great that we made it through to the end of the year. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like you weren't sure for a while there. (laughs) Well, it's been quite a a wild ride this year. So, um, yeah, Yeah, I think think, uh, everybody's kind of breathing a sigh of relief and saying, phew, we're just wanting life to get back to normal, although I don't know what normal is anymore. That's right. (laughs) So, Mish, for the listeners who don't know who you are, can you just give us a quick rundown of your uh, property background? 
Okay, so um, I basically started purchasing property at the age of 22. That was probably, that was about 34 years ago. Um, I amassed 29 properties over a short period of time. They were all positive uh, yielding properties, started off with residential. And uh, my father was a builder who went on to be an architect later. So I spent a lot of my, my youth with him. And he always used to say to me, look beyond the walls. So I spent, um, I think out of all of those properties, I probably renovated um, at least two thirds of them, adding value. And happy to say that that portfolio doubled and quadrupled over the years. Um, and I guess you'd call me somewhat of a collector. So um, I don't like selling. <laughs> I love to hold on to an asset and make it work and make it work hard. A couple of years ago, I moved to Australia, uh, eight years ago, and realized that a lot of people don't know much about commercial real estate. And I thought this is where I wanna be. So four or five years ago, I started um, showing people commercial real estate and, and fantastic yields. And uh, I was asking the question, why wouldn't you be doing this? And on the back of that, we started Revolve Commercial that's been a great success and we literally I spend my days helping people get into good positive yielding properties negotiating and making things work so that everybody achieves their goals so being that this is the last show of the year i was thinking we could do somewhat of a, a commercial wrap-up of the year sound good mish sounds like a lot of fun andrew <laughs> we've got a lot to talk about <laughs> Okay, so at the start of the year, Mish, what type of asset were you most excited about going into 2021? Look, I've always been a little bit of a, a retail and a um, industrial animal. I've always liked the industrial space. I owned lots of factories uh, back in South Africa, so I really got a good understanding of, of industrial uh, and warehouses. But at the same time, we purchased a lot of retail. So, and I've always liked the retail space because it's very different. So there are a lot of variables with the retail and I really enjoy that. And I, re I really enjoy working in the retail space on the ground. And what asset type actually surprised you the most this year? <laughs> well, funny enough, I'm going to say that the retail space surprised me the most because when we went into COVID-19, I mean, everybody was saying, right, shutdowns, and who's going to be the hardest hit? And if you have a look at the trends, the trends were were largely retail. That was that, that was going first. So office and retail kind of went fastest. However, I kind of stuck to my guns there, and we just carried on working. I want to say pushing hard in the retail space. So as things were busy falling over. We just carried on moving through them and picking up retail properties, working with um, retail tenants and um, really doing very well in that space. So I guess in a term of like actually looking for deals now, is it easier to get a, a better kind of deal for retail now, would you say? Not necessarily, because I think a lot of people have seen what's what's happened in the market and they've they've kind of watched particularly over the last six or nine months. And they've, uh, you know, I want, I want to go back a step by saying 
um, when this first started, everybody was running for the hills and saying, no, don't give me retail. I don't want to, I don't even want to look at it, retail and office. Mm. They were running, running wild. And of <laughs> course, um, the street was, the, the, the talk was on the street that the only sector to be investing in is uh, warehouse and yep. um, industrial. Well, we kind of proved that wrong. Um, and I'm not to say that it's the only uh, sector to be investing in. We've actually done incredibly well in both industrial as well as retail. So um, now that that has kind of hit its bell curve and people see that retail is starting to come back, in fact, there's huge pressure on, um, on the retail sector again. Now, bearing in mind that you've got different types of retail, and the retail that I'm talking about is um, neighborhood shopping centers, yep. um, road level sort of uh, retail. So, so I guess neighborhood shopping centers, have, I don't really think they ever went out of favor too much, Mish. Would you say that they did or what, what, what's your kind of idea there? I think uh, what what we saw and what we felt um, kind of um, towards the middle of 2019 uh, and 2020, leading up to 2020, is that they took a wobble. So, mm. which we absolutely loved the fact that they were taking a wobble because we saw that as advantageous, you know, knowing what we knew and doing what we do, we just went in and, and bought up as much uh, of those neighborhood shopping centers as we could. And as a result of those, we turned those shopping centers around to be very, very profitable centers. So we fixed them. When I say we fixed them, we worked with the tenants and we, we worked on the ground one-on-one -on -one solving problems. And I reckon if I look back, I'd say that my entire year has been filled with solving problems. Yeah. <laughs> it's the best way to make money in property. <laughs> Yes, you're right. It was solving problems for our clients. It was solving problems for tenants. It was solving problems for um, ailing buildings. So uh, yeah, it's been a it's been an awesome year. <laughs> and so, what type of retail would is to be avoided? So there's a neighbourhood shopping centres. It's obviously quite good. I think that in during like the lockdowns, people didn't want to go to those big you know Westfields and stuff like that. So the neighborhood shopping centers did really well because also they were in the, you know, the 5K radius we had around our house to go to. What type of retail should be avoided or, or were you avoiding in 2021? Um, um, again, I'm, I'm fairly conservative about that. Uh, and I know the neighborhood shopping center market very well. So I guess the retail that would be avoided would be huge centers. So quite a couple of those have come and gone. And I know that they've battled you know, they're a little bit harder. Uh, and and what's happened in the market is the tenants' requirements have changed quite substantially as well with the level of space and their services. So to be very mindful of that, we would tread very carefully in what types of spaces we're moving into. And if we are going to go into the larger sort of shopping centers i'm talking about shopping centers where where we're picking up more strata titled uh, types of uh, units we would look at that with exit strategies in mind right you know straight away funny enough though as soon as we got out of lockdown you know one of the first things that was actually exciting 
to do was just go and walk around like a Westfield uh, when everything reopened. Um, you know, that was very exciting. I know that sounds pretty silly, but it just was nice to just, I think it's retail therapy. You just go around, have a little bit of a look, you know. Yeah, well, uh, I kind of feel as if everybody's really getting, they're, they're really filling up the gaps that they missed at the moment. Because <laughs> <laughs> those shopping centres seem to be flat out. But yeah. then again, it, it is the season, but I think I think there's a lot of that where people are kind of just brushing off the cobwebs. And also, I think people have got a lot more money to spend, you know, mm-hmm. because uh, in lockdown, they haven't really been spending what they what they ordinarily would. So um, there's a huge rush out there, and yeah, as a result, Santa's running out of gifts. <laughs> so in terms of uh, assets that you purchase for for clients, in which sector? So which sector did you purchase in the most for your clients this year? Well, most certainly those neighbourhood shopping centres were very very high on on our list. And we've done quite a lot of small industrial. So small right. industrial in smaller units, strata title. We've also done quite a lot of, of freehold industrial. So it's kind of been a blend okay. in that area. Very little office. And I have to say, if we are looking at office or doing anything in the office space, that it, it really has to be good, solid offers with um, longevity and, and uh, sustainability in it. And a nice strong lease. Good strong lease, yeah. Good strong tenant, and a tenant with that has a track record, really. So, with like a retail neighbourhood shop asset, say you're uh you're, you're purchasing it, you're syndicating it. Do you go in, you do your value add, you know, you spruce it up a bit, and then potentially you strata title it, and then would you sell those individual shops to other clients of yours? Not necessarily to other clients. Um, we always offer them to our database first. Yep. Um, and if anybody if anybody puts their hands up first, then obviously they've got they've got the pick of the bunch. What we do is work very actively with the strongest agents in those areas. So we would we would put a mandate out to maybe two or three agencies. And we basically shortlist with the agents depending on who comes back with what. And we would work very actively. So we we literally roll up our sleeves and get involved in that in that property on every single level, whether it's it's doing the um, cleanups, painting, um, refurbs, or working on the legal legal side of it. In other words, cleaning up leases, working directly with the tenants, and just articulating their needs, goals, and their desires, and seeing if we can fulfil all of those spaces and add value. So we're really wanting to add value to everybody along the line, not just yeah. our bottom line. We look at adding value to the tenants as well. Yeah, well, that's the way to do it, isn't it, Mish? Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. And, and I always say to my clients, you know, your tenants, make your tenants your best friends. You know, um, let them have an open line to you so they can pick up the phone and speak to you if there's ever a problem um, or have a fantastic um, uh acquisition um, or asset management team that are on top of any issues or any problems. You know, you, you want to have a really, really strong team that is helping them and working with them. Mm. You know, make sure that, um, and they know that, make sure that they're not scared to phone you and speak to you about every issue and all issues within reason, obviously. Yeah. 
So, Mish, did you? What did you learn this year? Did you have any aha moments? <laughs> Great question. I had a lot of aha moments. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Uh, I think probably the, the the biggest aha moment was, you know, when the when the going gets tough, roll up your sleeves and and get stuck in there, because I found what happened is. Um, when the going really got tough with um, shutdowns and everything, instead of kind of shying away and, and, and not answering people, we had our best results by getting in there, making contact with everybody and saying, listen, this is where we are. This is what we're doing. What do you need? How can we help you? Yep. You know, so my biggest aha moment would be communication. You know, just double your communication. Just get in there and find out exactly where people are and what's happening for them individually um, and see, you know, what we could do as a, as a team, um, yep. how we could help them, what, what do they need? So from our team, um, how we could leverage and give them whatever they required, again, within, within reason to achieve whatever they needed to achieve, to make things work together. What I think I'm hearing you say is instead of waiting for people to contact you because they may have been, you know, worried about the market and, you know, generally when, when people are, are concerned or, you know, things look tough, they sit on their hands and don't do anything. And so what I'm mm. hearing you say is you just went out and made sure that you had twice as much contact with that, with that uh, client to make mm. sure, you know, hang on, just remember, we are here, we are here to serve. That and also just keeping information going. So, um, you know, I, I love doing vlogs um, and every time I learned something new, I'd, I'd get out there and I'd go and share that information. You know, and the more information that I was sharing out there, the more people were, were just, they were, they were sending me messages of appreciation, you know, and I was telling them what I was seeing from my perspective and from our perspective, from a company perspective, what we were seeing on the ground um, mm. and what was happening. So there's, there was that aspect of communication. We, we just did a lot more communication to the general market, to our, um, to our database, to people that follow us on, um, on open media, as well as with all of our, our tenants, with all of our rentals. In the um, asset management side, we made contact with every single person. We said, look, this is what's happening. This is what the code is requiring. Where are you? Are you going to be closing down? How is this affecting you and how can we help you? Yeah. You know, yep. so instead of waiting for them to come to us and asking for COVID relief, we were going to them. And I think a lot of people appreciated that. In fact, one of my tenants, I said to him, look, you know, you qualify for COVID relief. And he said, oh, great. Okay, that's great. And two months later, he sent me an, an invoice and he said, Mish, I've got to be honest with you. We actually didn't uh, go into lockdown. We didn't need the COVID relief. So I'm happy to, to reimburse you for the credit that you gave us. That's great. Which was amazing. Yeah. I mean, I never expected that, but I think it was because we were upfront and open right from the beginning that he felt he could do the same. And it was fantastic. And what were your biggest regrets this year or, or failures? <laughs> My regrets are that I didn't buy more. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Every investor's regret. 
<laughs> yes, my, my regrets are that uh, we should be buying more property, but and for our clients as well. In terms of failures, you know, we attract quite a lot of clients that come to us wanting to learn and get into the deal, and they've never done this before. And we had a couple of clients where we went into really good deals, fantastic deals, and they pulled out at the last minute, which is a lot of hard work. It's a lot of expenses. It's um, not, uh, not a good place to be. And I guess if I look at that, I'm not going to look at it as, as, as a failing, but what I am going to, to say is every single one of those deals that uh, people pull out of continue with somebody else and in fact in the one instance four months later somebody actually picked that deal up because one of our clients pulled out of it and they profited six hundred thousand in around about six to eight months and and the, the big takeaway is that my clients got a little bit nervous and that's why they pulled out of the deal and it's my job to give them that reassurance to stay in the deal And I know that when you have bricks and mortar and you stay in the deal, you can always turn it around. Yep. So it's a very, very, very thin line on how do you push somebody into a deal versus how do you encourage them to keep going? Why I asked that question, Mishra, is because I I look at failures as an opportunity to learn and you should be failing a lot, but you have to be learning from from that failure. You don't just want to fail and then you keep doing the same thing and you keep failing and failing and failing. You know, failing is not a bad thing. And I think that's something in our society, especially in school, where they mark you as if you've got something wrong, it's bad. Mm. Getting Mm. something wrong actually teaches you. You don't learn from getting Mm. everything right. You actually learn more from your failures. And that's kind of why I was asking with that. Yeah. Look, I couldn't agree with you more. And and again, from our perspective, I'm looking at that and I'm, I'm saying, uh, it is my duty to make people aware of the opportunities that they're missing out on. Because with the experience that I have, my failing is that they didn't get into that property. But in actual fact, and that's why I'm, I'm saying, without pushing them, it's more a matter of encouraging. So I, we've got to change our tactic yeah. on dealing with people and helping them understand that... Yep that these deals are actually, that they're fantastic deals. And I think a lot of this was based on what was happening in the market and there was a lot of fear-mongering that's, that's going on. And Warren, Warren Buffett says it beautifully, uh, fear when others are greedy and be greedy when others are fearful. Yep. You know, and that's exactly what we've been doing over the last two years. But you are going to have, you know, a lot of people are going to be fearful and they're going to come from that place of fear. And particularly that they don't understand it. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a very different um, acquisition to be buying commercial property. So, yes, it's, I agree with you. <laughs> it's good to hear that you, you quoted that uh, quote from Warren Buffett uh, absolutely correctly, because I know that I did try and do that quote uh, in a webinar, uh, the Revolve webinar with yourself a week ago, and I butchered it extremely badly. <laughs> So it's good to see that one of us can get it right. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think I, I like what Warren Buffett has to say there. And I, and I think my success has always been fairly bullish, where um, I just keep keep marching forward. And it's, it's years of experience that has taught me that you can always fix it. So long as you've got bricks and mortar, 
you can always fix it. Yeah, uh, that's right. I don't know whether you've heard me talking about, I mean, there are a couple of uh, development properties that we would get involved in from time to time. And, you know, development's a, a space that I think is fairly fragile at the moment because you don't have a tangible asset. You know, you've got a concept and a plan and there's so many areas that are sort of the unknown. That's right. You know, so it's, it really is high risk. And yes, a lot of people do very well and, and make a lot of money out of it. Uh, and we have in the past, but I speak to quite a lot of developers and they're wanting to come into commercial. Uh, and I celebrate that because, you know, I can only learn from them in developing and as like I can show them how to turn those hard-earned dollars into cash flow a lot quicker and easier once you have a tangible asset. That's right. So, Mish, uh, what state or region surprised you the most in 2021? Very interesting question, Andrew, and I think I'm probably going to say New South Wales and WA. <laughs> More so WA and, in fact, um, Northern Territories as well, because amazing things have been happening in Northern Territories. Look, it's not an area that I would, would want to put my clients in, and I'm going to say that probably because I don't know the Territory well enough. Yep. But the results that they've been achieving is fairly unbelievable, you know, yep. and, right. and it's as a result of the demand and the uplift that's happening in that area. And likewise with WA. Yeah, well, WA has really come into its own. It's it's getting very, very hot in WA. You know, there's a lot of things happening and, and cap rates are getting pretty sharp as well. So I definitely mm. agree with you that WA has been a bit of an eye opener. Maybe they were playing a bit of catch up for a very long time, but there's definitely a lot more activity in WA now than there was at the start of the year. Yeah, and I'm a little bit of a pragmatist where uh, I'm saying if you if you live on the East Coast and you can and you can achieve the same sort of results on the East Coast, do you want to go right across the country and travel for five hours, seven hours, whatever it is, should you need to be there to achieve the same results? So, I mean, it's very interesting looking at it from the outside because we do look at properties in WA. But if we're not getting a substantial, substantially higher uh, result on the other side of the country, then I'm being pragmatic about it and saying, well, then why would you do that? Yeah, well, I guess you're quite lucky that you operate in Queensland. So you're on the higher end of cap rates most of the time. So it's actually, you know, why if you can get it in your backyard, why would you go somewhere else? Well, this is it. Absolutely. This is it. But uh, I think if you are... I mean, Northern Territories, even Victoria, South Australia, I think there's some great things that are happening in South Australia at the moment. Yep. And that's been a very surprising market because looking at that probably about a year to 18 months ago, South Australia has just been slow and steady. Yep. Uh, but I think South Australia is is chasing sort of the Victorian market. And it's probably as a result of a lot of Victorians are looking at South Australia to go and park their hard-earned cash and equity into. Yeah, well, the stamp duty concession, not paying any stamp duty on commercial property in South Australia, is enough to make you go, wow, it's pretty cool. Like, let me have a look. Yeah. You know, and yeah. Then the tightening <laughs> of cap rates has also um, done really well um, yes. for um, South Australia as well. But again, I think uh, South Australia is starting to sharpen because uh, there's a large portion of investors that are, that have been looking in, and been um, dropping their, their equity into South Australia. So... Yeah, it's a great place, and those cap rates are starting to tighten down now. Yep. 
So in your opinion, how has COVID changed commercial property in the last 12 months? Very interesting. Um, I think it's given us a new perspective and a new respect for most certainly office space. Mm. And I mean, hot desking is on everybody's mind. I do know and I have spoken to quite a lot of the the larger uh, companies that do hot desking and um, just asking them what their requirements are. And their response was very, very surprising that um, they wouldn't look at anything less than a thousand square meters. Well, which is, I mean, that's, I found that very interesting because I, I would have expected there to be slightly smaller in maybe a far spread out area. Right. So I think that's kind of the face of the future. Not to say that it's going to be the, the only space. I think there, there are a lot of bigger office businesses that have seen the value in, in working together in a team and, and made it you know, flexible for people to work at home and in the office. But there's, there's most, most certainly a lot of value in working together face on face in the team in the same office. You know, so I speak to a lot of these larger entities where they traditionally had maybe uh, 500 or 1,000 people in the same space, and now they're down to a quarter of that. But they've changed the way that they work in terms of rotation and um, schedules, meetings, you know, those sort of things. So with regards to that office space where you might have had 100 people in 200 square metres, they've now got 50 people in 200 square metres, and I think yeah. that's going to change. Yeah. You know, Did you hear about Facebook changing their name to Meta? No, I didn't. Tell me about that. Okay. So Facebook rebranded their name to Meta. And have you heard of the Metaverse? I have. Uh, I, I know of the Metaverse, but uh, I don't know whether it's it's with, in relation to Facebook. Oh, okay. So I think what Zucks is trying to do, Mark Zuckerberg, is mm. he's obviously going to be the one that wants to kind of bring the Metaverse to fruition in like the next five to ten years. Mm. And they, they released a, a big YouTube video on like the presentation which was quite interesting. And the way that they were talking was that potentially in the future, you could be sitting at home at your desk, but you could be in a virtual room with all of your co-workers and it would actually feel and sound like you were actually at the office. So in terms of office space in future, I'm really spitballing this now. I'm not claiming that it's going to change the whole, the whole way we do office, but you know, in future, potentially, if you could be at your home and actually feel like you're at the office, then in five <laughs> or 10 years, the whole way that we think about the office sector could actually be totally redundant and we might have to actually rethink it. Like the, the way they were talking was ex like, I know it sounds extremely futuristic that we could potentially have feel and touch and you could hear things in different, but it was quite interesting the way that they were describing it. That's that's really interesting, and I'm having a little giggle to myself. <laughs> and I have to share a story with you because um, where I come from, you can drive like a maniac at any speed and pretty much drive like a racing driver. Okay, so when I came to when I first came to to Australia, I think I got three fines in three months. Yeah. Um, and I, I soon had to learn how to drive at the speed limit and behave myself. So um, not that I'm proud of that. But the reason I'm telling you that is because a, a friend of mine invited me to go and do virtual 
um, Formula One racing with oh, yeah. them, <laughs> where you climb into this module and you've got these screens all the way around you and you feel every single bump and it's a full-on racing car. It's yeah. as uncomfortable as forever and it's hard and you've got to really jump on the brakes to get to to get the brakes to, to work in there. And I could tell you, we had, uh, you put the headphones on, so you, you're in this capsule. And within 10 minutes, I was flying out of that capsule, holding my mouth, feeling so travel sick. Oh, really? <laughs> I couldn't handle, I just couldn't handle all of the stuff happening around me because you, you're surrounded by these screens and you can see the cars overtaking you and you can see the cars in front of you. And it was fair. I just, I got so excited about it. I thought, oh, gee, this sounds like, it, it just sounds like so much fun. I can't wait to go and be a, 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 <laughs> a Formula One driver. But because it was so virtual, it messes with your brain. Yeah, yeah. And within 10 minutes, I was out of there and the guys were laughing at me and they said, yep, they reckon that probably about 70 to 80% of people that get into those modules have exactly the same reaction. So they actually wow. have a bath bag in the module, in the racing car. <laughs> <laughs> so good luck, Zuckerberg. <laughs> well, you could imagine, though, if, if that actually does come to fruition, like the office space will have to be re rethought, like the way that we actually use it. You know, Andrew, I was having a chat with my development buddy and I said to him, um, we really need to think outside of the box here. And uh, I said to him, Simon, you know, we should really be looking at all of those office spaces and be be transferring them into residential spaces, yep. you know. And he, he just said, Mish, outside of the box, seriously, you don't want to do that because um, it is a huge job to get to get those office spaces rezoned and the requirements and whatever would be required. And the interesting thing is that six months later, a very good friend of ours announced that her and her husband were moving into the city into what was traditionally an office space and it's been converted into a, a luxury apartment. Yeah, yeah. So they've taken over the entire floor. It's 400 square meters. So it is wow. a massive footprint. And they have changed. They've, they've basically gone from a, um, a beautiful home with rolling lawns and and swimming pool and you know all the bells and whistles into a city apartment um three bedrooms en suite with all the bells and whistles in the city yeah it's interesting how things change yes so um i'm really interested in watching that space I yeah. think it's, it's going to be, um, you know, I think people are going to be very creative about using space differently. Yeah. So, Mish, have you had any fundamental shifts in the way that you actually conduct or uh, your business or approach investing in commercial property in 2021? Massively. <laughs> <laughs> we've had to, we've had to really change our approach completely. Where most properties at the moment are almost, I'm going to say, open bidding. So previously, we could look at a property, we could do run the analytics on the property and, and value it up to pretty much spot on to where it should be in the market and, and probably drive for a very good deal. 
And I think what's happened is because the secret is out. Everybody's wanting to buy commercial property, mm. uh, which means that the market is hot. Um, and previously, where you might have had two or three uh, buyers sniffing around on a property, you would have on average maybe 20 on the first day, yeah. maybe an, another 10 or 15 on the second day. And by the end of the week, you've got almost 100 people, you know, that have looked at or showing interest on the same property. So if you're not in there first, um, you're going to miss out. That's the first thing. And the second thing is the relationships that we have created. We've just solidified a better relationships with, with the agents that we work with. You know, and the agents are exhausted because they've gone from having five people phoning about a property to having a hundred people asking for exactly the same thing. Yeah. And it's, you know, for them, they, they're having to to kind of wean out the tire kickers. Yeah. So which is which has just made our relationships with them a hell of a lot stronger and I guess deeper. You know, there's there's a level of of trust and understanding that we work a hell of a lot closer from that perspective. And did you have any big highlights in uh, 2021? If you could bring it down to, to one highlight, what was the best one in 2021? When you say highlights, uh, Andrew, like what sort of highlights? highlights? Highlights of your year, the biggest win that you have or the biggest goal that you would need to achieve and you had a, um, a good win on it. Well, I think the biggest highlight for us is that we, uh, we, we wanted to do more group deals. And we've now got into the space where, where we really are fine-tuning that. And next year is going to be truly excited about next year because it's taken the whole of this year to just get some direction with regards where we're going and, and what we can do for other people who want to get involved in commercial without taking, well, not, not without taking the risk, but minimizing the risk, let's yeah. say. You know, so that for me is, has been the biggest highlight is uh, working with a, a good solid team, with investors, with uh, on the analytical side, on the legal side, on the acquisition side, just putting that, that team together and growing the brand. You know, I'm really, really excited about growing the brand and doing all of this with a good solid team. Yeah, that's great. And, and what asset class would you say performed the best? in 2021 i might already know the answer to this but what what what, in your opinion what asset class performed the best look i'm just going to chuck that out there and say industrial (laughs) (laughs) i think that's on everybody (laughs) you know that like i said the secret was out and everybody's scurrying around looking for industrial i don't think that's necessarily the answer going forward so for those guys that are dead set on industrial yeah have a second thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> so are you still doing deals right up till the December 31st? Um, what's your kind of opinion on the, on the, the, the when the best time during the year is to, to purchase a deal? <laughs> what's happening in the market at the moment is a lot of people are kind of, um, in fact, quite a lot of the agents that I've spoken to have, have just said, hey, they're shutting their doors um, at the end of this week on the 17th. Yep. Um, so I think this year has been, it's been a tough year for a lot of people uh, and they're just looking forward to just kicking back and, you know, just relaxing into the new year. From our perspective, 
I'm a little bit of a, a property animal, you know. I never put my, my phone down. And if I am looking at my phone, I'm generally looking at, at properties that are coming through or properties that have been and looking at current deals that we're looking at. So, you know, even when I'm even when I'm, I'm relaxing, I'm always thinking about, you know, what we could be doing better and what deals are, are still hanging around. So, no, we're not going to go right through until around about the 31st just because it's very difficult to continue the due diligence, uh, yep. difficult to, uh, you know, there's, the legals are closed, the finance is pretty much closed. We can have uh, passive conversations about them, but you can't do anything active, really, about it. And there's, there's something that's actually, that's been happening of late, of, in the last month or so, that I think people must really have a deep, long think about, and that is, you know, a lot of people are out there and they're throwing they're throwing money at at these properties that are overvalued. Yeah. Um, and if they're getting finance on these properties, and this has happened in, uh, on a number of occasions where we'd go in, we'd make an offer on a property, and the vendor or the the agent comes back and says, "Oh, you know, you've got to go up by at least another hundred k if you want this property." Well. All very good and well, if we want it bad enough and the numbers stack up and affords it, we will go in at a higher price. But when the valuer comes along, the valuer is going to value that property at current market rate. Mm. And the valuer is going to pull that property back down to where we had originally wanted to make an offer. Which means that are you going to buy a property that is heavily overvalued or overpriced? when the valuers are only valuing the property at, let's say, 10 or 20% less. That means that you need to come up with 10 or 20% more equity to get into that property. And, and you're buying that property knowing that you're overspending on an asset that's going to be underperforming. And the conversations that I'm having with the agents at the moment is, you know, why would we why would we make those higher offers if we know that we're just going to be sitting around the table negotiating back at the at the point of which we're wanting to make a market relative offer right now? Yeah. So yes, if they want us if they want us to chuck an extra hundred k at it, sure, we'll chuck it in. But we do know that it is going to come down. So the so the agents are starting to think about that as well, you know. And I mean, their their retort is. Um, that what you know somebody's going to come along and just pay cash unconditional. Well, happy days. Let them do that. I'm yeah. happy to walk away from that that property because if they're paying cash unconditional, they're paying too much, and they're going to realise that in maybe a year to two years time, and that's when it's going to get them. Those bloody Sydney buyers. That's what they do. Yeah, bloody Sydney <laughs> buyers. What can I say? <laughs> Your bunch <It's>... down there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so if everyone doesn't, no one knows I am from Sydney, so I can say that. <laughs> Don't send me emails saying, you know, blah, 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 you know. Blasphemous <laughs> about the bloody Sydney buyers. <laughs> so, Mish, were there any types of tenants or businesses that surprised you this year, how well they actually uh, reacted to, to COVID-19, like the, the extended lockdowns? Quite a couple. Quite a couple. And I think the one that surprised me the most were, was mechanic shops. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that there just seemed to be a lot of uh, mechanic shops that, that kind of just stayed open and um, their, their values just went up. 
their leases got longer and they wanted to stay in the business longer. That's actually a good point there because I actually, I do, I see quite a lot of these mechanic shops and a lot of them, um, as you probably are well aware, they are built with a lower roller door. So you can't actually convert them or you can't actually just straight away use them as a, a warehouse or anything like that. What kind of use would you, if you did lose that tenant, what kind of use would you think you could change it into, depending on the zoning as well? Because, mm. you know, being that the mechanic shop is kind like a traditional mechanic shop is kind of a, a similar kind of building with a lower roller door. Is there any quick, you know, tenant swap over you could do for that? Mm. Or it'd be like a fabricator or something like that or something in the same yeah. industry? Yeah, so um, look, it's it's always better to try and stick to the same same industry, particularly when it comes to something as 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 defined as a workshop or a mechanic shop, and bearing in mind that there's always contamination involved as well. So depending on what type of mechanic shop it is, and I mean you get clean mechanic shops and you get not so clean mechanic shops. So, um, you know, if it, if it is something that looks like there would be contamination, then you're going to be fairly restricted to the type of tenant that could go into that building. Um, and your restriction is always going to be that type of tenant. Whereas you have others that might have those lower roller shutter doors, if you, as you've um, identified, but they can transfer into, into different types of businesses that don't require 40-foot containers or 20-foot containers and those type of deliveries to go in and out. Mm. Um, you know, a lot of gyms go into those kind of places. Yep. And what we, what we always do is, is I always talk about exit strategies. So um, if it's got a multitude of roller shutter doors, you can always put um, uh, walls between them and convert them into smaller spaces. And smaller spaces have got a higher rental and they, there's higher demand. Yeah, I really like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's so, uh, that's always what you look for is you want multiple shutter doors and also multiple single entry door then you can really nicely segregate each space yes yeah and it's and that's very doable it's it's not at a, at a massive cost yeah. um so you know depending on on where it is and how it presents unfortunately you can't strata title it because you can't have the the correct fire protection in between the, the walls but it's still like you know you'll be able to increase that rate per square meter because you are lowering the space as you said and that jacks up the rate per square meter most certainly yeah most certainly so it's it's um i think those are a couple of things to look out for when you yeah. when you're purchasing those types of properties and so what type of tenants do you think will do well going into 2022 um Look, I think retail is gonna is gonna stay strong. Um, so your your takeaways and your general stores, and I think going into 2022, uh, I almost want to say that life's life should be coming back to normality to a certain extent. So specialized services, you know, your hairdressers, barbers, tattoo, waxing services, ladies, ladies, beauticians, that sort yep. of thing there's always there's always a demand for that yeah um and then your your general hospitality now i do know that hospitality is there's a there's a huge demand for more hospitality but without the international imports <laughs> so the students hospitality has taken a big knock mm. and the other thing that's happened in hospitality and we've just experienced this in one of our buildings in fact 
where um, we had the perfect space to put, uh, it's about 800 square meters of hospitality, fantastic ideas, concepts, plans, everything we put together. But when it, when it came to crunch day, they said they can't stop it. They can't find the right people, the right chefs. They can't find the right uh, hospitality managers to work those businesses. Oh, no. So hopefully when the borders open, when things change, that people are going to be getting back into, into um, you know, just growing that space again. So I guess uh, you're talking about the retail as more of a destination type retail spaces. So, you know, as you said, you like your hairdressers in, in yes. our salon, masseuse places. With, um, with the tattoo studios, I know from personal experience, I was doing, I was researching some insurance for a tattoo shop it was extremely high yes. uh, as a risk for a tattoo shop. Would you try and avoid a tattoo shop potentially just because of the risk of like, because I don't know much about like tattoos and gangs and stuff, but I have heard that tattoo parlors are a target for bikey gangs and things like that. And, you know, things do happen. Okay, so um, that's very interesting that you brought that up because we've we've actually experienced that uh, on numerous occasions recently, um, and there seems to be some sort of association with tattoo shops and bikey gangs, and yeah. and the way the way that the insurers put it to us without saying it in so many words is that um, I think what they were trying to say is is tattoo shops are, are seen as money laundering. Um, outlets, right. you know, and, right. and this association. Now, I can't tell you exactly what it is and how it happened and, and who, would, how, where and when, but this association has just over the last uh, 12 to 18 months has just happened between drugs, bikey and tattoo. Yeah. So as a result of that, insurance has just skyrocketed. Yeah. You know, and there's, in fact, there are very few insurers that um, that even want to insure businesses with, with tattoo in it. And I'm saying this is a blanket statement, but it's not necessarily true across all sectors. Yeah. So there are some exceptions, and I can't tell you which ones those are. Um, you'd have to speak to um, an insurance specialist to find out yep. a little bit more about that. Because I do have a few tattoos myself. I have a um, reasonably large half sleeve um, on my, my left shoulder. And I sat for about, uh, I think, three consecutive times of about six hours uh, a piece. Uh, and, and the tattoo artist was telling me that the reason that tattoo shops and, and bikey gangs go hand in hand is because the bikies actually will approach the tattoo shop and they basically force them into paying them protection money against other bikey gangs or something like that. So, you know, they're, they're under some kind of, you know, pressure to do this because of violence that could be against them from other gangs or that gang themselves. So it's, it's a really kind of scary kind of thing. Well, that's very interesting because if that is the case, then why aren't they doing that in restaurants and why aren't they doing that in, in, in um, corner cafes? Why aren't they doing – I mean, why are the bikey gangs selecting tattoo places only for protection money? You know, um, sure. you know, where, where, where I come from uh, in South Africa, um, we, that was rife. That was absolutely rife. And you couldn't have a restaurant without paying protection money. 
Yeah. And, you know, South Africa's like the Wild West. Everybody, you know, there's, there's no stopping them and having a, an AK-47 shootout in the middle of the street, a suburban street. Yeah, well. You know, that's, we, we'd hear about that uh, virtually weekly, and a lot of that was about protection money. And it wasn't only, you know, it was, it was restaurants, it was uh, businesses. I had a friend who had a, um, just an, an ordinary um, health store same story. So, so why would bikey gangs be, you know, hitting tattoo stores in in specific? There has mm. to be some sort of, and maybe somebody, maybe one of your listeners know, maybe maybe somebody yeah, out there knows a little bit more about it. Why specifically bikies and tattoos? Yeah, there must be some association there, or they're an easy target, or there's some reason. If you do know, um, send me an email, send me an email, and. And let us know. We'd like to uh, kind of piece it together. <laughs> yes, you got me thinking. I'm going to be speaking to my insurance guards about it too, <laughs> asking where this comes from. <laughs> so, so, Mish, do you have any bold predictions for 2022? My bold prediction for 2022 is that I think there's going to be a little bit of a pullback, and it's inevitable. I have it on uh, good authority that um, one of the big four are already looking at doing adjustments to their rates. Mm. Um, and I have no doubt that if one goes, then all of them follow. And I do know as a fact that that those big lenders have been have been pushing special promotions in their rates right up until December, 31st of December. So we've been offered some very, very good rates, but those rates stop 31st of December, those offers cease on the 31st of December, uh, which tells me that they're going to be coming in with something very different next year. And um, we have it on good authority that they're already starting to work on on changing those rates. And I think it's in, inevitable that um, we're going to have that, that little bit of a correction um, with, um, with lending going forward, which is going to automatically just shift things back into perspective not not necessarily back to where it was but um i think it's it's going to make it a little bit more difficult for for some people to to get into the market mm. it'll be interesting to see how the markets do react to a, a bump in the interest rates because i'm sure you know you know or you are of the mindset that when interest rates go down, usually cap rates follow. Yep. But there's, I think there's still a bit of a jury out whether or not cap rates go back up when interest rate goes back up. I mean, you might be able to shed a bit more light on that, Mish, because you've been doing this a lot longer than I have. What's your take on that? I think there's going to be a curve and they're going to follow each other. So we're not going to see it immediately, but we are going to see that. And that's why I say it's going to be a slow pullback where and how it basically works is as the interest rates go up it becomes more difficult more expensive let's say to get out there and do this kind of purchasing there's less equity that's going to be available because we're going to be paying more in our our existing entities our, our pprs whatever it is and as a result of that the cap rates the, the the market slows down cools off a little bit and we get back into a more realistic sort of um, continue with a more realistic market. Mm, very, very so, interesting. So I think it's all about it's it's all about uh, how much cash is floating around in the market. I mean, I think we've really needed 
to to be in the place that we have been with um, boosting, you know, the economy. But now they're going to have to pull that back slightly. Yeah. Well, Robert Kiyosaki is predicting one of the biggest crashes in human history in the United States. So whether or not that flow on effect comes to Australia um, remains to be seen. But it's interesting when someone like that um, is starting to predict these things. Mm, well, again, you know, Warren Buffett's, uh, I, I follow Warren Buffett and um, he's he's looking at it and so is Kiyosaki and they, they're starting to sell. Uh, and you need to ask why are they selling assets and where are they putting mm. their where are they putting their funds? Where are they putting their money? Mm, that's right. You know, so I think uh, the next three years, maybe four years, we're going to be seeing a lot of changes. We're going to see we're going to be seeing changes in the way that we we do purchasing. I think we're going to be seeing a lot of changes in the banking sector um, and cryptocurrencies. Yep. Definitely, I we, definitely. I think we're going to be seeing a lot more of that type of trading coming through. So um, how do we deal with it? I don't know. If you've got a crystal ball, please tell me. <laughs> <laughs> Only time will tell. All right, yeah. well, today's been great. Where can listeners go to find out more about you? So we've got uh, lots of free information on um, Cashflow and Autopilot, which is our Facebook group. Um, there's a lot of free information, free education. So that's Cashflow on Autopilot. And the website to get hold of us, if you'd like to reach out, have a call with me uh, or one of our team members, just go to revolvecommercial.com.au forward slash webinars. There's a lot of free information on that website, revolvecommercial.com.au. And, um, and the one thing I want to say, Andrew, is... At the bottom of the website, so if you scroll right down on the first page, you can join what we call our VIP list, where we send out our hot picks of the month, every single month. So you'll get a list of properties that we have selected that we find are hot properties, and you can join that list, get get a list of that every single month, become a member, join up. Beautiful. Sounds great. Well, I just want to say uh, thank you to all listeners who have been tuning in the whole year. Have an excellent Christmas and a happy new year. And today's guest has been Mish Daniel. Thanks, Mish. Thank you, Andrew. And ho, ho, ho for the end of the year. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. That's 2021 season two of the Commercial Property Show wrapped up done and dusted thank you so much for joining me it's been an absolute blast i really appreciate everyone listening in thank you to all the guests who joined me we will be back again next year for season three bigger and better lots more things happening very very exciting everyone have a great christmas and a happy new year and remember In the words of Grant Cardone, be obsessed or be average. I'm Andrew Bean, signing off. This has been a Developer Life production.